So glad that you are you know, here today. We are in this series called Rooted, and the first four weeks of this series, we've talked about our relationship with God, and what does that look like? And these last five weeks, you know, that we're going to be finishing up in another couple weeks is uh, our purpose in this world. So you might remember last week, uh, we talked about, you know, uh, see a need, meet a need. And we looked at poverty. We looked at, you know, spiritual poverty and relational poverty and physical poverty and how uh, God may be presenting some opportunities for us to see a need and meet a need. Now, this week, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. As we go through Rooted, we kind of get more and more challenged, you know, as we go through this. So if you're a person who likes to be challenged, today is the day, because today we get to talk about... Absolutely. So I know some of you are thinking like, oh, this is the one day I brought my friend. You're like, this is the worst. You know, or some of you are thinking, man, all churches do is talk about money. It's because you haven't been here in the last six weeks, you know, and so it's just kind of your rhythm, you know, and we really, really don't. But here's what I can tell you. It's the perfect week to invite friends. It's the perfect week because here's the one thing we all have in common. We have money. Now, we may not have much, but we do have, you know, income at some level. And so you're going to learn some principles. If you're younger, my prayer is that there are going to be some things that you're going to learn that are going to last the rest of your life. If you're a little bit older, here's what I can promise you. Today is not going to be comfortable. You're not going to like some of the things that we talked through, but I'm just going to ask you to wrestle with God about that. Dismiss the messenger and just focus on what you believe that God is saying through his word. So to kick us off, we're going to have a little bit of fun here. If you were given $12,000 as you left today in cash, besides to God, because I know a lot of Christian people, God, you know, um, you're going to say that. What would you spend the $12,000 on? What would you do with $12,000? You're given 12 grand in cash as you left this place. Talk about it with the person sitting around you. Next to you, introduce yourself, and we'll come back up in just a second. All right, 12 grand, 12 Gs. What would you do with $12,000? Well, here's some answers here. Debt. Okay, how many of you guys said something related to debt? <laughs> we got a lot of people in debt, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I understand. Do the same thing. Somebody else? Sneakers? That's a lot of sneakers. I like that, you know. Or if it's Jordan's, it's about four, you know, yeah. 12,000 things at the dollar store. <laughs> That's awesome. That is a lot of dollar store stuff. Yeah. Uganda trip. That's awesome. It's way better than the 12,000 things at the dollar store. No, we shouldn't pick on people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, widows and houses, yeah, orphans, the ones in Uganda, help me to support all that stuff. That'd be great. Somebody else? College. College. Nice. Yeah. Uh, my family. Your family. Good stuff. 
Anybody else willing to share? I know that uh, Kenny leads worship for us. Uh, if you saw on my social media, you know, he put uh, tacos. And I was like, what? And he says, yes, I want one taco a day, $1 tacos a day for the next 12,000 days. So somebody responded. They said, Kenny, that's 32 years you'd have a taco. He's like, awesome. You know, <laughs> 32 years of tacos. Some middle school student on Thursday night just yelled out Fortnite. You know, I'm like, wow, $12,000 versus accessories that doesn't help you with the game and whatsoever in Fortnite. There is $12,000. Now, why do we talk about money, you know, on this one week when it comes to Rooted? Is it because the church needs your money? You bet it does. But you didn't expect me to say that, did you? <laughs> Here's what I figured. I'm not really sharp when it comes to math, but about $100 worth of ministry costs about $100. You know, I know, it, it's, it's going to blow your mind this morning what I've got to present for you. You know, so when we talk about, you know, the different things that God is doing, you know, whether it be Freeman, right, in a service or, you know, uh, expanding the facility, you know, or kids crackers, whatever, all of it costs resources. And so, yes, the church absolutely needs resources to be able to do ministry. It does, whether it be salaries or any of that kind of stuff. But that's not the reason why we're talking about money when it comes to Rooted. Let me, let me just present it from this angle. If Jesus were to show up today, what do you think he would primarily talk about? Love? Forgiveness? Heaven? Miracles? The only way to know what Jesus would talk about today is to look back and say, well, what did Jesus talk about when he was actually here on earth? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can kind of extrapolate from that and say, all right, here are the things that Jesus talked about, which would not be unlike what he would talk about today. Because here's what he does. Jesus shows up into a community and he puts God on display and then he goes after people's hearts. He is finding out what are the obstacles to people's connection with him and then he goes after that. You know, the number one thing that Jesus talks about besides the kingdom of God is money. It's resources. That may shock you a little bit, you know, to, to understand that, that Jesus talks about that. In fact, do you know that 2,000 verses in the Bible talk about money and resources. So when you go to a church and you're like, hey, that church is all they do is talk about money. If you go to a church that doesn't talk about money, they're not preaching from the Bible. I just wanna make sure you know that because there's too much that Jesus and the Bible talks about for us to ignore that critical subject. Now, I believe it is the number one discipleship issue in America. For those who've come to faith in him, it's money. It's this issue of how do I deal with, how do I manage, how do I oversee, which is why we live in so, so much debt, which is why we have so much stress when it comes to this issue. Now, Jesus is always saying, I care about your heart, about your soul. I don't want something to hold you back from everything that God has for you. And so we talk about money, but I want you to clearly hear today, it's not really about money to Jesus. Money is just the issue to our heart. It's about our hearts. Here's one of the things that you've already heard to be true. If you want to know where your heart is, figure out what you've been spending your money on. So just look in the last 30 days, 60 days, and you'll begin to see where you spend your resources is an indicator of where your heart is. Where are the things that you care about? Mortgage, right? Uh, food, all right? Some of the things, the utilities. But then you say, oh, hobbies, interests, you know, some of, some of the things that come to mind. In fact, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, don't store up treasures here on earth, Jesus says, 
where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Don't miss this. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So I got a little illustration for you. Okay? Here's your heart. Here's your money. There is a link. There is a chain that is always between our hearts and our money. And so if you want to take a look at where your heart is, the things that you care about, you will notice there's an always a direct link to resources, always a direct link to money. Now, what we usually say is where my heart is, there my money is as well. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says where you put your money is where your heart will follow. So God knows where we've been created. And so one, one of the things that you can look at in your own life is you ever not cared about something and started to give or financially spend on something and then notice that you began to care about something that you didn't used to care about before. Let me give you a practical example in my own life. I hated soccer. I thought soccer was boring. There was nothing, you know, interesting about soccer until my kids started playing soccer. Now you might think, well, it's because your kids are playing soccer now that you're interested. No, my kids have done a lot of different things that I have absolutely no interest in whatsoever, but I do love them. But when I started to spend money towards it and they participated in, I started to get more interested in it. So much so that we started actually watching on TV and we actually went to a Sounders game and we started doing these things because now we're putting money and now our hearts are following those things. So the reason I mention that is sometimes you might think, well, if my heart's not there, if I don't feel it, then I shouldn't participate or give to that. What you might find, which is what Jesus says, when you start giving, your heart follows as well. So it's a reflection of our heart. So if people were to look at your resources, what would they say that you care about? What would they say is on your heart if you were to open up your pocketbook to let people see? Now, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, here's a hard-hitting question. I told you that today's not going to be very comfortable. And here's the first uncomfortable question. If we don't financially give regularly and our hearts are truly connected to our treasures, what does that say about our heart toward God and his church? What does it say about our heart toward God and his church? And since it's a war for our hearts, how do we honor and trust God with money? How do we honor and trust him with money. So I'm going to walk through what the Bible has to say about some of these things in order to help you to be rooted in him since it is about our hearts. First, we admit that God owns it all, right? That God is the owner and everything belongs to him. Psalms 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So it's not just money, it's everything. It's all God's. And if you begin to embrace this one principle, it will change your view on everything in life. Everything. All of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, that, that's not my house. That's, that's God's house. Okay. I have to stress about that as much anymore. That's God's car. You know, all right. The, 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 these, praise the Lord. These are God's kids. <laughs> right? <laughs> Whoo, you know, weight is off. Let's just start thinking about it. This is all God's. It all is his. Now, the temptation is to, to think, well, wait a minute, I earned this. What are you talking about? I, I spent so much of my time and energy earning this. Don't be fooled. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, it says, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He's the one who gave you the power to be successful in the first place. God owns it all. It all belongs to him. So if that's the first thing that we can understand when it comes to resources. Secondly, if God owns it all, then we are not owners, but we're managers of his resources. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. 
We're going to look at verses 14 to 30, and we're going to do a section here, and then we'll do a section a little bit at the end. Jesus says these words, again, in Matthew chapter 25, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated with a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Remember, he's not talking about abilities. He's not talking about time. He literally is talking about money. So I want to be crystal clear. Whose money is it? It's the master's money, right? He entrusted it to his servants to manage in his absence. So this is all skate. You can reply back to me. Who is the master? God. Who are the servants? Us. Okay, super clear, super easy. God is the owner, we're the managers. So this is what he does. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is how generous God is. One bag of silver would be equal to a lifetime's average wage, a lifetime. So sometimes you're like, oh, that poor guy, he only got one bag of silver. Realizing, no, 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 he got a lifetime's wage and the other's got two lifetimes or five lifetimes ways. So, we have to admit God owns it all. We are his money managers, not his owners. One of the best ways to understand this is in our own households. For example, I ask my sons, hey, go clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. I'm like, well, let's rephrase. Let's clean the room that I've given you, but that truly belongs to me. Go clean your room. Now, see, as a good father, I want my kids to enjoy their rooms. This is your room. Let's put different things in different parts. Let's paint the walls. Let's put up different posters or whatever it may be, pictures they want to hang. Let's move things around. That's all great. But even though I say it's your room, you do not own this room. I am giving it to you. I am entrusting it to you as a good father, but it still ultimately belongs to me, right? I think we can understand that. In the same way, it's all God's. He is entrusting it to us. And if that's the case, will we commit to following his way when it comes to his money? That's the question we've got to process. If so, then third, we commit to God that he will be the priority over money. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, Jesus says, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus talks so much about this because it's warring for our hearts. You can only serve one. Which is the priority in our lives? It's not that money's wrong or that money's evil. It's the love, the pursuit, the priority of money that the Bible says takes us away from the priority of God in our lives. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, what's fascinating is that we have this regular reminder. I know we're going more and more to a cashless society, but we have a regular reminder of trusting God more than money on our money. If you see these four little words, in God we trust. Of any society that has ever existed on our money, it's a regular reminder for us that we're to trust God more than to trust whatever bill that we might be holding which is fascinating. So if God is the owner and we are his managers of his money and we're putting him first, then what does he say about honoring him with his resources? See, this is where the rubber meets the road. 
This is the practicality behind it all. We don't, if we're his managers, get to decide. He gets to, one, to be the one to tell us as his good managers, him being the owners. And as him being the priority, in order to put him first and to expand the kingdom of God, he tells us over and over and over to trust him with something called tithes and offerings. So the first way that we trust God with his resources is that we work towards a tithe to his church. Now, now where do we get this from? Where is this concept? Is it because the church needs your money? We've already talked about that. It's about the hearts that God is presenting. And he doesn't just start with Jesus in the New Testament. He goes way back in the Old Testament. Second book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, third book in the Bible. Not second, I gotta read my Bible again. It says uh, these words in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So the people of Israel have been told, this is what I want you to do because I want to be first in your life. Because I don't want to have you mismanage the resources which I've given you, I'm asking you to put me first through what's called a tithe. Now you do need to understand, a tithe literally means tenth. Sometimes somebody will say, I tithe 2%. Like, no, no, that means you tenth 2%. That doesn't make any sense. Tithe means tenth. So we have to be absolutely clear on this. Now the nation of Israel, forgot this command and they actually got in trouble with God. A little bit later on, they started thinking, well, let me take care of my house first. Let me take care of my kids first. Let me take care of my bills first. Let me take care of my debt first. Let me take care of that. Then if there's anything left over, then I'll give it to God. And so God sends a prophet to his people and he says these words in Malachi chapter three. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there is enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It's the only time in scripture God ever asks us to test him, to try it out. Now, if you're at this point in the message, where this is starting to become irritating or uncomfortable, you do realize it's because we're talking about a heart issue. We're not talking about a resource issue. If it was just money, it wouldn't be that big a deal. But because we're linking something, it's actually hitting us a little bit here. See, if I don't pay my mortgage, I'm robbing the bank. If I keep my utility payment, I'm robbing Avista. If I keep the tithe, I'm robbing God. Now, here's what I can tell you. I've tithed my entire life. And when, if you're young right now, if you're in high school, if you're in middle school, if you're in elementary school, one of the things that my dad taught me that if you can learn this principle young, it becomes second nature as you get older. It's so much harder if you're older to begin to actually practice this. So my dad actually taught me when I was a kid, like 10% goes to God, 10% goes to savings, and you live off the rest. And you're like, okay, this is just what you got into the habit of doing on a regular basis. It's always harder when there's more. It's always harder when there's more. To be able to be like, ooh, what could I spend that money on? What could I really use those resources for? And so we start warring with ourselves as we get older, unless you're somebody new has come to faith. So many people who come to faith and they come new, they're just like, God, I love you so much. I've come to you, you gave it all for me. And then you tell them, you're like, well, hey, God is you know, hoping that he remains first, but you tithe it to him and they're like, that's all? That's all I have to do? That's amazing, because God's given it all to me. Sometimes we forget what God has done for us and so we kind of hold it back in the same way the nation of Israel did as well. Now, this is usually where the time in our conversation 
where somebody says, you know what, I've read the Bible, and that's an Old Testament principle, Dan. We don't want to be legalistic about the New Testament because Jesus has set us free from that legalism. And I'd have to say I disagree with you because Jesus actually affirms the tithe in the New Testament. In Luke eleven forty two, and as well as Matthew 23, 23, says the same thing. Jesus says this, What sorrow awaits you Pharisees, religious leaders, for you are careful to tithe, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. Then he says this, you should tithe. Jesus says, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. So he reaffirms what has been taught, but he just wants to say, don't, don't forget that there are things that are more important, like loving me. Here's what's interesting in our culture. We live in a tipping culture. Most of us in this room have no problem tipping. We have no problem writing 10. That's what it used to be. The standard when you went out to a restaurant was, hey, 10%, and you'd write the 10% in there. Now, if you talk to those in the restaurant business, it's 10, but that's not really the standard. It's like 15, and then 20 is being generous. And so, but most of us have no problem. We're like, oh yeah, that's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. Then why is it a big deal when it comes to God? I believe it has to do with control. It's control. Good ties at the baseline. We don't even think about it when it comes to coffee. We don't even think about it. Like, oh yeah, here's an extra tip. Here's an extra... But when it comes to God, there's something inside of us that's at war for what? For our hearts. Let me be even more brutally honest. The only people who have ever had a problem with the tithe are people who are not tithing. I have never had a conversation with anyone who is currently tithing who comes to me and says, Dan, that's just an Old Testament example. Jesus would never, no, he would never do that. I have never had it. Never had somebody come up and be like, oh, the only ones who've ever struggled with the tithe are those who are not tithing. I told you this was going to get a little uncomfortable for all of us. I told, told our staff, I said, hey, I know how us, for us not to go to four services in the fall. I'll just keep preaching on giving. So it happens all the time. So here's the godly challenge if you want to be rooted in Jesus. Okay, here's the challenge. For the next 60 days, for the next 90 days, here's what I would challenge you with. Tithe. See what happens. God says, I will pour out such a blessing. Test me in this. And so some of us are so afraid because of control. We're afraid because we're not sure if that scripture is going to be true. We're going to afraid of where the bills are going to come at the end of the day. We're afraid of, and so we hold on, we hold on, we hold on, and God says, no, no, no. Trust me. Test me in this. So here's my promise to you. If you do this for 60 to 90 days and you get to the end of the 60 to 90 days and you do not experience or see the blessings in your life, some of which will be financial, some of which will not be financial, that God promises to bring in your life, we will write the check back to you. What have you got to lose? Right? It's a win-win. You're like, Matt, that was a bunch of baloney. Okay, here you go. Every dollar, all right back to you. Because some of us need that. Some of us need the, okay, I, I, I don't trust. I'm having a hard time. I want to argue with what the scripture, whatever it may be. And I'm just going to say, try it. See what happens. Because if you talk to people who've given 10%, who've given more than 10%, they will all say, it was worth it. And I received incredible blessing far more than what I gave. So how's that for a challenge that you're not on the hook for at all? You get to see and experience what God has done. Now, somebody on Thursday, I said, have you ever given money back before after the, you know, the 60 or 90 days? I'm like, well, we've never done this before. So, you know, we might get to the end of it and be like, that was a terrible idea. You know, we're never going to do that again. So trust him in this. What do you got to lose? Which leads us to the second, is to work to get out of debt. 
Okay, understand the priority. Sometimes we think a second bad decision makes up for a first bad decision. So because we make a bad decision when it comes to our consumer debt, we think I've got to use all my resources to get rid of the debt, then I will. No, 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 you're making two bad decisions now. You need to trust God and don't let our own personal bad decisions stop you from fulfilling what God has asked you to fulfill and you'll watch to see what he does in our lives. The Bible doesn't say, by the way, that debt is sin and that debt is wrong, but it is when you find yourself in a situation where you're being consumed or hindered by that. And I don't have time to go into how the lending process went and how the debt process went even into the Old Testament. But most of us, let's be honest, when we're talking about consumer debt, we get into debt because we struggle with a lack of contentment, right? So I want it, and because I see it, and I can feel like I have an ability, I want it, I'm going to buy it right now, even if it costs me to go into debt because our desire to, 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 of not being content on the inside. So let me ask you this question. Who is most content? Who is most content? A man with five kids or a man with a million dollars? Who's more content? A man with five kids or a man with five million dollars? The answer is the man with five kids because he doesn't want any more. <laughs> Wait for it. Some of you guys are going to get it. It, it kind of goes in a wave. There is a temptation for more or bigger or better. And so we live in the state of, uh, I don't have enough. Instead of living in the state of, I have enough, therefore I don't take out loans or things thinking I need to meet this of what I actually cannot afford trying to keep up with or whatever it may be. Proverbs 22, 7 says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is a servant to the lender. One of the reasons we have Financial Peace University here, especially the first three lessons of Financial Peace, is so helpful because it talks through some really practical ways to get out of and save and debt snowball and all that great stuff and encourage you. Which leads us to the next one. So the first is to give. The second one is to get out of debt. And the third is to work towards generosity. Once you're able to get out of consumer debt through additional offerings and opportunities, uh, allow me to Dave, change Dave Ramsey's line. Dave Ramsey, as you know, does Financial Peace University, and one of his taglines is, live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. I don't believe that's 100% biblical. I believe God would say it this way, live like no one else so that you can give like no one else. I think that's what God is trying to tell us. See, how do I become generous? Sometimes people think, well, I'm going to give 5% to my church and 2% to this parachurch organization. I'm going to sponsor this missionary for 1%. And we get so nickel and dime. Who's being legalistic? Like give above and beyond. That's generosity. We were teaching this to our kids when young. We always gave the tithe and then we would sponsor a kid and we'd help people on mission trips. We wouldn't subtract from the tithe. We continue to add more and God continued to provide as we trusted in him. You cannot outgive God. In fact, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, command those Command those who are rich in this present world. By the way, if you live in America, welcome. We are rich compared to the rest of the world in any way you want to look at it. Not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's okay to go on the cruises. It's okay to go on vacation. It's okay to live in a house. It's okay to have those things. He gives it to us like a father would a son or a daughter to enjoy when he is first. There's nothing wrong with that. 
I want to make sure you see that. Command them, he says, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life, a life that's best. Now, here's what's fascinating about that passage. It says command. All right, we don't like to hear that as Americans. Don't tell me what to do. Command those who are rich. So I'm supposed to command you who are rich to be generous, not just to tithe, but to, com- but to generous. Now, that's where it starts warring with our minds. Wait, 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 I thought it says that, you know, God doesn't, loves a cheerful giver, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for that's what he cares about. Do you know how many times that scripture has been misused by people? We don't have time to go into it but it's primarily been used to justify why I'm not giving and why I'm not being generous. It's not used to actually continue with generosity. See, generosity takes place in every area of our lives that is above and beyond. Like if you were to be generous with your time, you're not giving your time. To be generous with your time means you're giving extra time, right? To be generous with your work isn't just you're getting the job done, you're doing extra work. To be generous is always above what is expected. So if you go back to Malachi, God distinguishes there are tithes and then there are offerings. There's two different things. In 11, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says, a generous person will prosper. That's what God promises. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So even as a church, every year we give two opportunities to be able to give an offering, something above a tithe. And so we do it every Christmas Eve. I don't take money. Many of us don't take money from our tithe to be able to give the Christmas Eve offering. It's above and beyond. And at the end of our service, you're going to be able to hear where some of those resources that you have given that belong to God that have been used by him to impact the world. The other time of year that we do this is around Mother's Day. We try to find an initiative because God's called us to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. So we want to have an initiative that's going to help us to continue to do that. Like in the past, that's how we did Otis. You know, it costs resources to do us. We're talking, we're talking about Freeman. You know, we're talking about expanding this facility. We're talking about different opportunities that God is giving. Why? So that we can use it to benefit yours and people who don't yet know Jesus' lives. And uh, imagine uh, what would happen if one day we did some, one of these campaign type things and something happened here that happened one other time in the Bible where they were trying to build a sanctuary. They're trying to build a sanctuary to God And this was what took place in Exodus chapter 36, verse 6. So Moses gave the command, and his message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. Stop giving. Can you imagine that? You know, can you imagine coming in like, hey, hey, we have more than enough. Can you please, please stop giving? See, here's what's interesting is I feel like that we are overwhelmed with how many people continue to come, that God continues to use you, yet we've never been overwhelmed with resources. You know, like, what do we do? We got to stop. We got to tell people to stop. They are too giving. They're too loving. They're too generous, which leads us to the third and last point. God uses our giving as a way to change us and those around us. That's what he does. That's how it benefits us. Changing us and those around us. In Matthew 25, 14, verse 19, actually, it continues on in the story. After a long time, their master returned from this trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. How they used his money. Here's how the story ends. The servant who had been entrusted with five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. 
And he tells the guy who gave two, he said the same thing. Like you can read, the, we read what happened to the person who just put it in the hole. Here's why I mention this. Do you notice what's interesting? Is that Jesus says when we're faithful with our hearts towards resources, he didn't give them more resources. He gave them more responsibility. So for some of us who want to be used by God, he is looking at how we're using his resources to know if he's going to entrust us with more responsibilities based on how we use resources. And so it's an opportunity for us to be used in the kingdom of God in our hearts and in the lives of other people. 2 Corinthians 8 says this as we wrap up. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Imagine getting to the end of our days and seeing Jesus for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Understand that when you and I give, when we prioritize him, we understand that we are just his managers or what belongs to him in the first place and we follow his ways, we are blessed. Our hearts are attuned to him. And as a byproduct, when we give, the gifts get used to encourage other people in their walk with him or challenge or help them in him. Uh, let me throw one last thing as, as you kind of end. You do realize that there is not a single instance or very few instances where someone does not grow or come to faith in Christ without resources being involved, directly or indirectly. Happens all the time. Like, wait a minute, Dan, I led somebody to Christ at the coffee shop last week. Really? Did you buy coffee? Did you sit in a chair? How did you get there? Did you drive? Did you put gas in the car? All those things were all in place. So when you look around and be like, wow, look at the church. This is not the church. This is just brick and mortar. That's all this stuff is, is. We are the church and this is just a tool. This is a resource that helps us to connect with God and helps to others to do the same. Resources. Jesus says, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So as we wrap up, what is your next step to trust God with his money through your resources?